Hello guys, Danny again here for another episode of Screwed Up Moments Plus. I hope you all are doing well, especially during these trying times. For today's episode, we are going to be talking to someone that has indirectly contributed to this podcast. What do I mean by this? Well, our guest for today, Stefan Liu, runs the School of Positive Psychology here in Singapore. And coincidentally or not, about a handful of his guests have actually appeared on the Screwed Up Moments podcast or will be appearing in the coming season. Also, some of the lessons of positive psychology itself is inherently baked into the message behind this show with stuff like gratitude, meaning, happiness, or resilience being constant themes throughout our various guests and episodes, which is why I thought it would be interesting to bring Stefan onto Screwed Up Moments Plus so that we could learn a little bit more about him and the fantastic work that he is currently doing. Hope you enjoy. Stefan, thank you for joining us today. To start off, could you please introduce a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? Thanks for having me today, Danny. Mm -hmm. I'm very um, appreciative that you invited me to be here. So to start off, I am the founder and uh, the director of the School of Positive Psychology. Mm. Um, That is a higher education institution that offers positive psychology training, psychotherapy training, and also coaching training. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apart from that, I am also the co-founder of Thrive Psychology Clinic, which offers um, counseling therapy services to youth and adults. And I'm also a co-founder of Nova Census, which is a consulting and training company that offers psychology services and uh, training services to workplaces, Mm. but particularly in the area on positive psychology too. Yeah, so... The reason why I wanted to talk to you today, right? Because we had a meeting, I think, earlier this month. And then you shared your sort of how you came to be where you are right now. And it's this really amazing, unconventional sort of Singaporean uh, uh, story. And so could you talk talk to us a little bit about that? Okay, let me go back to the memory lane. <laughs> uh Okay, so I think for my entire life, I have been quite a non-conformist. Mm. So, um, I mean, not because I'm a natural rebel. Um, <laughs> some people say that I'm a divergent, but I think that I am really curious since a long period of my life. Yeah. And so since school days, I went to school, not just because for education, but I went to school because I was very curious about human emotions and why people are suffering. Mm. And personally, I had a history of depression and uh, and so that I was really gravitating towards um, the human expressions of emotions. And I started to think about what's the meaning of our our lives, like very existential, philosophical questions. When when did you start having these questions? Well, uh, this is interesting because I was trying to recall, right? Yeah. And I, I guess that the first question concerning this would be consciousness. So right. I do recall that when I was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit uncanny though, thinking about this right now. When I was 12 years old, I asked my best friend, I remember her, her name is Jessica. And uh-huh. I mean, we have not been con- in contact for a long time. Yeah. So I asked Jessica that um, when we are asleep at night, where do we go? Okay. And she was like, we are asleep, we don't go anywhere. <laughs> then I say, no, no, I'm, at the point of time, of course, I didn't know the topic of consciousness yeah. and I can't frame it and articulate it. But what I was trying to ask is that where do our mind go when we are not awake? Mm. And are they more than, can we go to more places than what we could register? So at the point of time, I think I started this journey when I was like 12 years old, <laughs> which is lots of curiosity, yeah. getting myself in trouble. 
asking teachers the questions that they cannot answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's fascinating because it's like you mentioned about all these stuff that, that you currently do relating to psychology, right, and positive psychology. And it's fascinating to know that it started from such a, a young age. But of course, you didn't pick up a very conventional path following that you didn't go to like you know the top universities you didn't get like a like a psych standard psych degree and so on so could you please tell us a little bit more about about that well interestingly because when i went to school i wasn't a straight a student i was a student that i managed to pass all my subjects Mm -hmm. so when i get a c i was really happy (laughs) (laughs) truth to be told i still remember that if i get a b or a i'll be thinking to myself that oh i spent too much time studying (laughs) (laughs) so what were you more interested in doing back then uh, like I said that I was more interested in um, paying attention to people around me. Mm. Yeah, and I was trying to solve like the world mystery of like why are people suffering and why do I have these feelings within me mm. that's related to sadness. Mm. And of course, that sensitivity that I have within me, it could come from a place of emotional fragility, but at the same time that I was trying to connect with people around me that are they also suffering from mm. that state of mind so so what did that entail was it like talking to people observing people i observe people okay <laughs> <laughs> in in a very unconscious manner or in a very indirect manner right like i could be at the, in a class i'm looking at the whiteboard or the classroom right the chalkboard but my mind is actually on the person on my left like mm. because uh, he or she may display some sort of discomfort on his face or her face, it may be a bit a little bit moody or a little bit disconnected. Mm. So I could feel, uh, lack of a better word, I think that I could feel that sense of heaviness being emitted from the person and I'd be very curious of him and her. So I'll take the opportunity to reach out to him or her during break times to see whether he or she is fine. Mm. Did your friends find you a bit weird for <laughs> getting a bit too personal at times or something? I don't know whether at the point of my life when I was younger, we don't know we came across these terms like boundaries or being personal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just be a kid, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess that on that topic, I was an outstanding student, you know, mm. like, uh, not in terms of results, but outstanding outside the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because my mind would be just fizzling off and thinking about something else. I was thinking about what is the meaning, what is spirituality, what is psychology, and why mm. people are behaving in such a manner. But of course, these are very earlier parts in education whereby psychology is not being taught. And even today, it's not been taught in the youth, hmm. in, in this level of education. So I started these questions way earlier, I think. Yeah, so a pretty weird kid like you back then <laughs> in, in a society that wasn't too accepting of these very deep or personal, emotionally exploratory questions, right? So tell us about after your schooling days then. You obviously didn't go into psychology or become like a counselor immediately, right? Mm, I did not. In fact, I went into a polytechnic mm. <laughs> and I did engineering for a couple of months and then mm. I dropped out because um, <laughs> uh, at the point of time, I have a very borderline O-level results. So uh-huh. I could only go into nursing or engineering. And uh, I wanted to go to nursing because, um, <laughs> yeah, because there are a lot of girls. Because when you're young, 17 year old, you just want to help the girls, right? <laughs> and, you know, be playful or popular. But I helped myself back and I felt that maybe I should become an engineer because it seems that all the guys are becoming engineers and, right. and all my good friends are entering engineering, right? Without knowing what it was really all about. Right. Yeah, so I went in for a couple of months and I told myself that wasn't really working out for me. And uh, so I made a decision to go to national service first. And then after National Service, I started to pursue private education. And then I also started working early. I was also quite lucky in a way because I went to advertising sales first. 
I was being thrown into the dynamo of society. I was being thrown into the grind. I faced a lot of rejection. I had to go out and do cold calls, knock mm. on the doors. That whole bout of experience helped me to gain a lot of insights of how people interact and what was the working world like. Mm. From that uh, work experience, I jumped off to another work experience and I entered education consultancy. So from education consultancy, I think that is where I stayed from then to now. And I started to work with different universities, offering different programs. So I remember that I was in charge of one of the psychology program that is um, the bachelor degree in psychology program under one of Australian university. Right. And I had to work with the psychologists to arrange for previews whereby members of the public would come in and attend these talks. So we were going on really well. I was in charge of the program and recruiting the students, uh, matching them to the program. Then one fine day, there was one event whereby the, uh, the speaker didn't turn up. <laughs> and then we have all the people turning out for the preview <laughs> and then we were stuck and then one of the uh, my colleagues was saying that Stefan you know you have huge interest in psychology and you, you can talk so much about the program <laughs> but why don't you become the speaker <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't recall what was going through my head but I knew that there wasn't a choice. We had to cancel the event. Mm. Uh, someone has to rise up to the occasion. So what I did was I rushed up to the occasion and I executed or I presented the talk. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> I think probably I was like in a state of shock anxiety, but at the same time that I was also driven by the adrenaline to make it work. And yeah. I, what I remember after the talk was many of my colleagues, they came to me and said that my talk was even better than the usual speaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe given my conviction, yeah, right? Yeah. And given my years of experience since I was younger, right, like, talking right. about emotions and all that stuff, right? right? And so that piqued my interest in psychology and I started studying psych, but I didn't go all the way into psychology. I went into counseling and psychotherapy and my passion started with hypnotherapy. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I want to zoom in a little bit more to talking about the School of Positive Psychology. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. So tell us about how that got started and what has your experience been running the School of Positive Psychology? I started the school in the year 2007. Mm. It started with a crazy idea that I wanted to create a platform to offer positive psychology courses and psychotherapy courses in a more affordable, accessible way. Mm. Yeah, because at the point of time back then, positive psychology has just started. So in order to learn that, you have to fly to um, America or to fly to UK to learn it, and they're very expensive. And so I s saw the need that in Singapore, or especially in Asia, there's a huge preoccupation with anxiety and also the sense of apathy has been growing. So I wanted to bring this education into Singapore so that we have this platform to allow um, these conversations to take place. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can either start a church, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you can start a community, a non-profit organization. But I found that in view of what I was doing, that I was trying to achieve, we need to create more thought leaders who believe in this mission or who has the same uh, pain points and they want to reach out and share this knowledge to the, their people or mm. to the community. So setting a platform in the education arena seems to fit. At the point of time, my friends are for the place of care. Mm. They were also saying that, nah, that doesn't seem to be a very feasible idea because nobody knew what was positive psychology. The emphasis of um, psychology is not there yet. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge risk. But I followed my heart and thought that this has to be done. And to give you more context to it, we visited 
the Institute of Mental Health, which is in Singapore, and the PR director brought us around and announced that they are improving their capabilities and expanding their resources. So by the year 2010, they can house up to 10,000 patients mm. to meet to the world demands. Uh, because WHO, World Health Organization, has said that the main problem by 2010 was depression and suicide and not cancer. Mm. So that struck a chord in me. And then I told myself that um, I had to do something about this. We need to create a platform to group like-minded people to do this together. But just to emphasize, when we started the school, we had the problem to register the, the school name because we had to register the school with Ministry of Education. Mm -hmm. And the school name, so they have a, a guidelines of how... What are, the, what are the conditions that you have to meet to reg for registration? And you have to be, there be, must be a name um, for registration. So we tried to register the School of Positive Psychology and it was declined because it was too arbitrary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, it must be a name in front of it. Okay. And so the, the registration was thrown back and then there was such a huge debate and discussion and then someone was like, telling me, why don't you call it Stefan's School of Positive Psychology? <laughs> okay. And I was like, no, the whole intention of me setting out this school is not about me but it's about um, the the need of create to create a platform. Mm. And so in order to meet the guideline, we were creative enough and we asked the MOE officer, how about the word the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, putting the word the in front of the school and and then they, they it was funny. It. <laughs> <laughs> and they came back, they said, it's okay, it's good. They made the guidelines. <laughs> so the name of the school is actually called the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. This, so that's the story behind. Not not everyone know about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so what has it been like? You know, running the school and teaching the students and everything. Were there like any memorable students that you came across, or any like incredible stories? Oh, there were loads. There were loads. Mm. Um, I don't even know where to start. I think one big part about being in this industry. I think for those who are also in this industry, they can attest to this. A lot of this about fulfillment, and. I think we get a lot of fulfillment when our students come back after the graduation mm. and they share experiences of how they used to be in a state of suffering. And after they learn the course, they have um, started to... You know, when you're in a state of suffering, things around you seem really bleak, but you're so used to it because they've been there for so long, right? And so many students, when they, they come over to our site to learn, mm. they also want to cease suffering and learn ways using positive psychology and evidence-based method to get out of their current state or to improve their well-being. Mm. So when they come in and learn this, you can see that they transform through different stages of time. Mm. Yeah. So they, they so sometimes they may a little bit reluctant to seek help from counsellors or coaches. So they say that maybe it's time for me to upgrade myself. So they come in, they learn, and then they find out at the end of the course, they come back and share stories of change and transformation. And there are so many of them. And I don't know whether you have time to share one story. Sure, sure. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Um, let's give let's give her a pseudo name. Hmm. Let's say it's Wendy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I still remember when Wendy came in, she has long hair and very cheerful disposition. But after some talks, she started sharing that she was in a bad situation whereby she, her husband was abusive physically mm. and mentally, emotionally. And she was stuck with two, three children and she was not financially independent. It was very heartening to see her coming forward. She was holding back her pain. And she asked this question to us, which I still remember to you today. If I study the diploma in applied positive psychology, mm will it help me to be more positive to deal with my family situation? And at the point of time, 
you know, as a psychotherapist, yeah. my heart melted. Because every part of my training will say that you should start to look for, you know, family protection, women's protection, right, right, and right. start to make, uh, start to seek help, right? But instead, she came, despite her misery, she said, can I, when I take this program, can I learn the resources to deal with my family positively? So, um, in the long and short of it, she came onto the program, and the program is a one-year program, and she didn't complete the program within a year due to her family issues. And it was also um, challenging because her husband would turn up at the school angry oh, and wow. wanting to check on her. So we had to protect her sometimes, you know, by... But having said that, after she attended the classes, she learned that it was not normal and that there are ways to seek help. And she mm. started to gain these strengths and perspective of how to help herself her children. And by the end of the course, she also started to find work. And I think right now she is a counsellor. Mm. That's the last time she shared with me. And she, by the way, she, it took her six, five to six years to complete the program. To finish a one-year program. Yes, wow. because in between she had to take time off. Right, right, right. Uh, we still remember she will go to class with um, like bruises on her face. Oh, wow. And she will be sobbing and going out of the class. So we know that she was going through a tough time. But after five or six years later, she ended the program. And then she came back and when she received the certification, and this time around, comparing to the first time when she came to the school, it was tears of jo uh, sorrow. And this time around, six years later, it was tears of joy. And she said that uh, she has transformed her life. She has uh, left the ex-husband. She has sick help. She gained custody of the children. She started working. And wow. now she's in a better position. I think that was one of the most uh, phenomenal stories that I can recall at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that is remarkable. Just out of curiosity, right? Uh, most of your students, do they often come with like some baggage or like some problem that they're looking to solve? Or or is it the bulk of them are just like curious but but otherwise okay or like, you know, typically normal people? Mm. Oh, this is one of the favorite questions that people ask me. <laughs> mm. Well, I would say that I, I don't have the figures, but generally speaking we have a large group of people that they're okay mm. and they are just being challenged by life in a way and they're starting yeah. to ask questions about do they want to continue their current life situation or do they want to change and become a better version of themselves? Right. Or they also started to pose existential questions like, you know, what is my purpose? You know, I would like to create a legacy mm. or I want to do a mid-life career switch. And there's another group of them, they are here because they innately have some issues. Yeah. They want to learn and reinvent themselves. Mm. And then, of course, we have a third group that they are already in the helping industry or to some form, but they want to come in to rescale or to upskill their skills because positive psychology um, do offer a lot of um, up-to-date evidence. So I think the difference is that um, when we learn psychology, we learn something that is in the textbook, which is very um, useful theories and, mm. and research. So if you talk about Maslow hierarchy of needs, most likely everyone will know Maslow hierarchy of needs. But is the model still applicable to today? Mm. So there must be some sort of like modifications, right? right. So one thing about positive psychology is that it's always updating. So when you learn it, you will learn the premise of what it is all about and then you can always constantly be updated with the research mm. and the interventions because the world is always changing. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, the reason why I, <laughs> I asked the question, right, was that um, some of our guests and for the second season as well, they have all graduated from Stefan's school. <laughs> Their school. <laughs> Almost to a number where I don't think it's a coincidence anymore. <laughs> And I just want to say that I don't know what you did with them, but it must be something incredible. Because some of these people, they come from 
you know, really amazing, incredibly tragic stories or, or, or backgrounds, right? And they're able to come out of it and share their story and then even put like a positive light on it. Sometimes when listening, when I listen to that, I just find myself just dumbstruck or just in awe that you're able to do that. I guess that's just the power of positive psychology. <laughs> if I could, um, thanks for that No, yeah. It's very encouraging to hear. But if I could share what is the, the essence of these people, uh, the premise of the School of Positive Psychology, it's not just, we don't really function just like an education institution. We function as a community. Mm. So when students, when they graduate, they come back to become trainers. And then we continue to help them to um, offer their services to the community. So in the process of doing so, we are creating like an ecosystem and people feel safe to be vulnerable and they know that they won't be judged. So I guess that um, these people and graduates that you have interviewed, they to begin, they are phenomenal individuals mm. and they want to reinvent themselves. And so they come to this platform and they bring their strengths to the platform and the credit really goes to, to them. So you imagine that a platform with thousands of people coming in and they share their experiences at the school and they learn and they have a common objective together. Yeah, so I think I'd like to take this opportunity to thank them also. <laughs> you know, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. All right, it's, uh, it's wonderful. And so towards the last end of this interview, right, I want to transition to talking about the podcast that you do, Getting Naked with Happiness, because I think it's fantastically... Um, What's the word that I'm looking for here? Unexpected? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why it's unexpected. <laughs> I want to hear your opinion, actually. Danny, you should, should be sharing some of your perspectives. No, just, just, <laughs> just, just in the sense that um, with a title like Getting Naked with Happiness, I come in with the sort of expectation, just at least on a service level, that it's going to be maybe conversations or like you sharing tips on or, or, or your insights on positive psychology and different stuff here and there. And while your show definitely does have that that sort of element embedded within it in the different episodes that you've done, there have been some guests that have some really dramatic <laughs> backstories and backgrounds that I would say you, you know wouldn't be too out of place in screwed up moments as well. <laughs> yeah, some of these have included like, uh, for instance, there was this one lady, she was kidnapped and had uh, Stockholm Syndrome, right? There's another guest that um, survived 9-11, and then there are other stories relating to like suicide and cancer. Yeah. So it's not really, on a surface level, the happiest <laughs> podcast to listen to. Yep. <laughs> was this intentional? What was the idea behind this? Well, as a podcaster, it was a journey for me because I wanted to bring some of these stories to the main platform and to encourage people that we can develop resilience mm. and we can bounce back after suffering. And resilience doesn't only stop after suffering. Resilience actually brings us to a higher place from the original place where we started or the default place where we started. So I think getting naked with happiness, the whole idea of the word getting naked is about having vulnerable and authentic conversations mm. about how a life emerge or how they metamorphose through a, a, their, their past, after their past. And I think that is also about bringing hope to inspire and inject hope and optimism to people that who are in a suffering state. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for listening to it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, this, some of these stories are really phenomenal. And I am also a little bit flabbergasted when I hear, when I interview some of them, when they tell me these pain points that they have. So I felt that if their stories could be shared, 
to the world and if someone else is listening who's looking for inspiration hmm. or who's a bit down they could get this inspiration from these stories yeah yeah and <laughs> I really love that answer right? especially the part about like hope and about like sort of transforming the story into to a source of inspiration because even when I was doing interviewing recording screwed up moments and editing right I often ask myself you know what is really the purpose of me doing this <laughs> <laughs> because um, at, at a very basic level, right, you could say podcasts are for entertainment, but I didn't like to view it this way because I found it very grotesque that you could view people's like their most painful or vulnerable moments as entertainment. So I was struggling to like find out with like a different answer as to what is this show for, and then eventually you know landed around the ideas of like you know hope or inspiration because ultimately there's always like a, a sort of transformation or sort of a redemption story towards the end or at least you know the 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 individual who has gone through so much has found it within themselves to to be able to share and be vulnerable and authentic about their story i i I really do find it quite incredible sometimes that people are willing to share these stories yeah Mm. especially with some of them some of them i barely even met i don't even know i've just known I just talked over email and yet we're able to have like a one hour discussion where they share like their most difficult moments of their life I find that just incredible <laughs> building on that Danny I mean like your podcast my podcast and I think that there's an emergence of many podcasts right now they are trying to maybe in a similar space because I think that we see the the common need to drive well-being mm. messages of well-being and resilience and um, being vulnerable is really very challenging. Um, I can't say for many parts of the world, but based on my last 14 years of experience, I, I do notice that like when we started the school, we have um, many female students coming forward, yeah. wanting to learn a program, and they dare to be vulnerable. Mm. Because I also we also know that um, between the genders of female and male, female, um, they are more used to social connection in expressing how they feel. But for men, particularly, um, we find that it's much more challenging. Mm-hmm. So as a man, maybe there's also an innate mission that maybe we want to get more men to come out and <laughs> to talk about their feelings. <laughs> to break the stigma, right? Yeah, it's to break like, the stigma. Yeah. And so I think over the years, you can see that maybe a group of 10 students, some classes is all 10 female. Yeah. <laughs> and then slowly you have one male. <laughs> and then you have two male, if you're lucky. <laughs> and I think the numbers have increased. So I'm quite, I would say it's an evolution of the male species. <laughs> but it also, it's very apparent that um, that we need to help each other more. So having this podcast is also a way I know, to reach out to more um, audience who are not just female but also male. Yeah. And I'm very, so it's an indirect suggestion to many male listeners now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to share. <laughs> yeah. 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 So just, just to build on that, right? Um, because our, our shows are kind of similar in the sense that we sort of bring these incredibly tragic stories and try to put like a positive spin on them, or try to, to find the light out of the darkness, right? I'm just wondering, in, in your own opinion, what is your so-called end goal or your ideal end goal coming out of this podcast in terms of like what change would you like to see happen, be it from your listeners or from society? I know you've already spoken about, you know, getting men to <laughs> to speak out more and be more vulnerable, but is there a different end goal? I don't have an end goal, mm. frankly speaking. Mm. I think the main objective is to to be on this mission, um, spreading good. Mm. 
And innately, we are not just here to survive, we are here to, to, to make ourselves better so that we can live life better. Yeah, I mean, a shorter version, right? Yeah. So the angle, so there's no angle, but we have the bearing of that. We just want to disseminate information and to encourage um, people to tune in, to understand that it is okay to air and share your feelings mm. because it's part of transformation. And and through these stories, we are more connected together authentically. And do we want to create a world of competition or do we want to create a world of collaboration and compassion? Mm. And so the whole objective is to create stories of compassion and stories of change and transformation and hope that this will have a bigger impact to society in their well-being development. Yeah. yeah. Probably for me, it's along the same lines. Although at the beginning, I didn't, I didn't really know what the <laughs> goal was going to look like. Yeah, but it was just like, after speaking to these guests, right, and then hearing some of the issues that they have with like sharing these stories and trying to open up to their friends or family. Some of them are fortunate enough to have friends or family that are very understanding and very helpful, but others have faced, you know, a lot of stigma, a lot of backlash for their condition. And I guess maybe one one possible um, end goal that I would like to see happen is that people be a bit more understanding and compassionate, like you said. Nah. Building on what you just said on compassion and what we said about this, mm. I think what came to me, one of my uh, good friends, Tara, uh, I don't know why she'll be listening to this. <laughs> so Tara is one of our students and, and now she's also a positive psychologist and a coach. And now she's relocated back to uh, Australia. So when she was in Singapore, we had this conversation. She came and told me that, hey, Stefan, I think that you did a remarkable job by setting out the school. And uh, this is a great job. Uh, what you guys are doing, you have a great team and a great platform. And so kudos. And... Then she also asked, do you have a goal? Like, uh, what is the reason or what's mm. the purpose for you to do this, right? And, and you have done really a good job in this area. And my reply to her as candid and as honest, it was, Tara, this has to be done. <laughs> and this is my reply to her. And she, was, and she said she listened to it, but I didn't, make, I didn't remember past that conversation. Yeah. So after that conversation, a few years later, after she graduated, and she started her own interventions, and she started a um, positive education network in Singapore. Yeah. So she grouped all the teachers together to share um, best practices in education. Yeah. And after running the platform for a few years, the teachers in the network started going up to her and said, Tara, you have, you have done a great job in putting this together, sharing this mission. And then they asked Tara the same question, you know, what she asked me. Tara gave the same answer, it has to be done. <laughs> and then it dawned upon her that I was giving her, I gave her the similar answer. <laughs> because when she answered the question, it came from the answer of the meaning of what, of behind what she's doing, right? Yeah. And the meaning is that we have to do this because the world needs this. I mean, not everybody, but mm. when people reach a certain stage, they need this. And so with that brings the end to today's conversation with Stefan Liu. I hope you enjoyed it and much thanks to Stefan for sharing his story and his mission here. If you would like to learn more about the work that Stefan does, be it at the School of Positive Psychology or through his Getting Naked with Happiness podcast, I will be leaving links in the episode description so that you can check them out. And with that, this has been your host, Danny. Thank you as always for listening. Do follow or subscribe to the show, spread the word, and see you soon.